Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to When the Wind Blows. This is an epic podcast for parents, teachers, leaders, and anyone vested in the world of education. I am Erin Barnes today, the host of the show, and today's co-hosts are Faith Bullard and Susan Anderson. I am not going to do a whole lot. I'm going to let them tell them tell you who they are, um, but I do know that they were kind of the resident experts for this topic today, so I'm pretty certain. Oh, and I hope that that doesn't apply too much pressure to you guys. Uh, <laughs> no pressure intended to be placed on you. I just know that what you, uh, what I want to talk about, you guys have been doing, um, and uh, I did it once before whenever I was teaching as well, but I don't want to be the sage on the stage here. So um, so why don't we start with who are you and what is your role at Epic? Uh, Susan, why don't you take the lead on that one? I'm Susan Anderson, and I'm currently one of the principals at Epic, and I'm starting my ninth year here. That's awesome. And Faith. Erin, thank you for having me. I love your podcast. Um, my background is in pharmaceutical research. So if you would have asked me 10 years ago if I would be in education, I would have said never. Uh, but you know the saying. And through a series of circumstances that involved a sick child, I ended up homeschooling my own children for quite a few years. And the very last year that we homeschooled, we enrolled in Epic. We had amazing Kristen Disney oh as goodness. our teacher. And like your husband, I just became fascinated by Epic's model. I knew my kids were going back to school, and I thought I might be able to use what I've learned to help some other families. And so this is my third year with Epic, and that first year was definitely as brutal as everybody says it is. And more brutal than last year? Last year was brutal. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me see here. Well, we are talking about co-constructing, I've called it co-construct-ed success, and basically what that means to me, and I love using the ED as um, uh, a portion that is capitalized at the end of a word. I, I actually stole it from Josh Flores, who was the ELA guy at the State Department for many years, but um, but basically this is using, like curating content but using the student to be a part of that, like we have the ILP process every year where we are choosing curriculum and setting goals. Um, and, and those of us who have been around for a while and faith, I mean, even coming from the homeschooling background and into this, this uh, world of like public education, um, you now see like there are so many options available to our kids that don't meet the standards. And a kiddo can go through an entire year in a curriculum and really have only met, you know, 40, 60, 70 percent of the standards, leaving you the teacher or um, the parent to kind of come in and fill the gaps. And 
the both of you have created ways to fill those gaps or even like bypass uh, different portions of the curriculum to create content that you know is standards-based and it also gets amazing results. And so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today and, and your process for for going through that and, and choosing what it is you do. Um, so Susan, let me start with you. Uh, how long had you been at Epic before you decided that you needed to start curating content for students? Oh, that started, it started in the beginning. You realize your first year that, um, if you can customize the curriculum or the presentation of the curriculum to the student, that that kid will actually be more successful. And realizing that while we need to meet the math standards for that grade level, every kid doesn't have to do it the same way. One of them might be doing it in their current core curriculum. Another one might be using teaching textbooks. Another one might be using Saxon Math or Khan Academy. And if we can customize the curriculum and how that student is going about meeting the standards in a way that helps that student learn and master the standards, then we're being successful. And so it was through that of realizing I had some students in teaching textbooks and some in sex and math and and some in their core curriculum that how could I manage that and make sure the kids were on track. So for me, I started using a, a plan book that I can share with the students and I would put in there what lesson they needed to be on each day and the kids could keep track of their progress and know that they were on pace or ahead. And that really helped out when the students weren't working um, in their online course. Okay. And I apologize uh, because I've kind of the first couple of questions I've given here aren't even on the doc that I prepared, but Faith, that's a lot of work on a teacher. How do you decide to take on that kind of a workload for yourself? Um, and, and how do you decide how it should be laid out? That's a good question. You know, I think from the very beginning, I knew that individualizing instruction was going to be important. And really, you know, that's what Epic is all about. Uh, But I did try to slowly transfer my students to similar curricula. So for math, most of my students, um, the supplementation portion of it, were using Saxon. So that has been helpful, just trying to get everybody to come along with something that they like And that helps simplify my part of it. But again, you know, if they're all doing the same thing, it still isn't individualized. So there are some that um, are not doing Saxon math. And yes, it does take more time, but I feel like the results are, are stronger. I, whenever I was training teachers, I told them regularly, if my favorite curriculum to manage and to uh, to to guide a student towards is the apex curriculum. It's just simple. It's easy on both sides. But as a student, I would have never been able to use Apex. I actually loathe trying to learn from Apex because that's not the type of learner I am. I would much rather use um, Khan Academy or teaching textbooks, even Saxon. Um, And I've used Saxon with my own kids now. Um, 
those three, in my opinion, are the best as far as math goes. Saxon teaching textbooks and con because there's so much repetition and they're going to always spiral. You can yes. go through a year of math in, in another curriculum and only have seen that standard one time. Whereas I know with those three for sure, and others could be that way, but I know with those three for sure um, as a core, they're spiraling always. And... Um, with Saxon, my kiddos would cry. There's just so many questions. And so whenever <laughs> I moved them to con, they were like, oh, okay, this is awesome. But I've had to redo the lesson three times. And I was like, okay, but here's the thing. Even redoing the lesson three times, you've answered 21 questions and not 35 to 40 questions, you know? So it's still a, a, a good trade for them. But um, it, it just, for me, I would have never been able to learn from an apex curriculum because I need more visual and auditory content coming at me at the same time, um, which is... Well, I love apex. Oh, um, yeah. But Brightthinker does have the ability to add videos. I can even leave feedback, audio feedback for my students. I can stick a video in their lessons. So that is one nice aspect of Brightthinker. They can still be working through their schedule and they can get something from me, whether it's a, a link or a video or, or even audio. So Susan, I'm coming back to you. Um, and part of the reason I'd ask you guys and Susan, I asked you initially and you're like, of course, but you should bring faith on because she's really killing it in this department. But I even used your plan book one year for my kiddos. Um, how did you, and, and I know you incorporated, um, gosh, there was the, the My World um, Social Studies from Pearson. You had um, uh, Study Island in there, and you were in the in the midst of bringing Mastery Connect in because we were kind of in that that year. Um, you had some Bob Jones in there. You had how did you decide? How did you decide where you were pulling from to add your extra content? That starts with the ILP with the family when you're having that discussion with the family and discussing what their goals are for their child's education and that we need to meet the state standards. And is this kid going to be completely online? Is this kid going to be completely offline? Are we going to do a mixture of each? And uh, I've taken parents uh, to the bookstore where they sell homeschool curricula and looked at uh, some of the books there and said, well, we could use Bob Jones, we could use Horizons, we could use, um, you know, Saxon. We we look at the different curricula if they're wanting something offline and put together a plan. And that's where those came from. And um, like Faith, I had traditionally homeschooled my own children before my own children started Epic and then therefore um, myself coming to work at Epic as well. And so I was familiar with some of the... Um, book curriculum that is available out there and able to give parents that advice as well for those who are looking for some books for their kids to work on. And so once that plan was made, I wanted to simplify my class and have one fourth grade plan book. And I would have several different lines. There might be seven lines. And I'd tell one kid, you're working lines one through four. And a different student, they were working lines four through seven. Yes. And that way I could put in our class information because we would have a, an in-person or online class depending on the year and I could put in what their assignments were from class in there and you know add in 
Mastery Connect assessments or IXL. And as a kid needed more practice, I could just add in, hey, why don't you work on this IXL lesson? I love and that you... Know. Sorry, you keep going. I didn't want to cut you off. They would know which line applied to them. So even if I had two English curricula on the plan book or two math curricula, they needed to do the lines that applied to them. And that helped me manage the class because it was all there. And I knew you know, what all my fourth graders were doing, what all of the fifth graders were doing. And it took a lot of work to put that together. Yeah. To, you know, to, you can correlate the standards with plan book as well and have a standards checklist. You know what standards have been covered. And it, oh gosh, a few years ago, I spent most of August all day, every day working on building those plan books. But in the long run, in the end, the students succeeded and it helped keep them on pace. Because if we can do some planning ahead of time with the parents, to have a solid plan during the ILP in the summer before school starts, then we can have a more successful school year. Yes. But without being afraid to pivot in the fall if something isn't working. Oh, and we've got a whole conversation that we're going to do with uh, with Mr. David Schaus on pivoting. But uh, I love that you said you would take them to the bookstore the curriculum that works best is the one the kids won't fight you to be in every single day. You know what I'm saying? And and then we'll supplement and fill where we need to. But as long as the kid is not hating life just by logging in, we've already gotten through, you know, one of the, the hurdles. Uh, so I, I love that parents know exactly what their kids need sometimes, but I think at, at a certain age, and I would say it's probably like fourth, fifth grade, the kids really have desires that the parents don't have a clue about. Uh, and, and it can be visual, it can be auditory, and, and we need to teach kids in all the different ways. I'm, I'm a firm believer, even though I know I need more visual and auditory, I still need to be able to read content and get from that content. So I'm not saying eliminate the other options, but but shoot, if, if blue and green and black are my favorite colors, and I just love seeing them, and I like the everything on my computer, just so you know, I've, I've got the, the dark mode or the nighttime setting on, I just like the black background. And that's so edgenuity to me. And and I would love to use the curriculum edgenuity because it's got that dark background most of the time. I don't know why. That That's the only reason. It, well, it's got videos and I can take my online notes. But um, but I would choose that curriculum because of the, the being able to have the dark mode background. I don't know why. <laughs> Faith, did you want to add something? I saw maybe you wanted to, to, to interject a couple of times too. Well, you know, Susan really has just mastered that, and I've been able to benefit quite a bit from her work on the plan book and also just aligning standards to some of the offline curricula. And we have some really fantastic resources in Oklahoma. I mean, there, my math assistant was created by an Oklahoma dad, and that goes along with Saxon. There's video instruction. There's online grading available. And then Institute for Excellence in Writing also is an Oklahoma company. So yes. I love that we can use some of those options. Yeah. Okie born, okie bred. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> internal uh, access as well with the uh, Epic Ed online and and the the resources yes. the instructional coaches are bringing. I mean, it's it's we've got 
resources, but what you two are doing with those resources are curating them. And, and what I'm hoping is that we can have this conversation so that more parents think, hey, okay, there is more out there or more teachers have better words to use. Uh, I mean, what an awful way to figure out that you have not met all the standards than by failing a state assessment at the end, like horribly fail. My kids have have done pretty poorly themselves. They're not great test takers. We've got other things we've found out recently, but, but they're always close, you know? <laughs> and, um, gosh, just, uh, not being able to fill in the gaps and, and realizing that your curriculum didn't meet all the standards. Um, it's a horrible way to find out at the end. And so I love what the two of you have done. I used to call mine the willy nilly curriculum, uh, just because it came from here and there and everywhere. Uh, Susan, I know you've used the plan book. Uh, Faith, do you have a name for your curation, con- content curation? You know, I'm going to take Susan's plan book material and utilize it this year. I, I also love Google Classroom. That's where I created my willy-nilly. Mm-hmm. For, especially for science, I used Generation Genius this year to fill in a lot of gaps, and that was a total win. The kids liked it. The parents liked it. It was engaging. It kind of hit all learning styles. And so we used Google Classroom for that, and, and that seems to be the way that most of my students were able to get to the content and utilize it and turn it in. Well, I wrote that one down. I hadn't heard of that one yet. Um, So I see families complaining all the time on Facebook. And I'm always on there trying to to help wherever I can. And I never want to step on a teacher's foot or a principal's foot. And so usually I end up directing them to ask questions that that, you know, that they may be able to take to their teacher and stuff. How do you help your kiddos? Keep up with all the different. Sorry, no, sorry, my watch wanted to talk to us. Sorry. Um, How do you help them? And Susan, I I heard you with the plan book. You say your lines four, seven, and nine. Faith, what do you do to to help them see that it's all in one place? Like, how do you? They have all the different places to log into. How do you help them know what's for which day? So I use a document that Kristen Disney shared with me. She mentored me my first couple of years with Epic, and it's just a curriculum login sheet. I have one for each family and then a tab for each student, and they bookmark that on their computer. So they can just click on that and log in. Now, with the integration of Clever last year, there is a badge that you can print off for students, and I purchased those lanyards for the name tags and we stuck a badge in there. So when I went to families' houses, I, you know, they had a little hook with all their lanyards and you don't need that to log into Clever, but for some reason they liked that. And so I plan to do that again this year. Just get them their little badges. That's so funny. In Mastery Connect, you can print the assessment, the formative assessments, and they can like hold their, their thing up and, and scan it for whatever reason that made that formative assessment all the better. <laughs> they just want to be able to take the picture and scan it at the end. It's so funny. Um, and another option is to create the schedule for the kid. You know, it can be on the computer. It can be on a piece of paper. And I had several students where 
we printed out their schedule of everything they needed to do and where they needed to do it. Printed it out and put it in a plastic page protector and gave that kid a dry erase marker and said, hey, check this off as you go through the day. A way of the kid keeping track and the parent keeping track of what has been done and what do we still need to do. And I found that that was very empowering for students to help teach them, hey, I have my math and my English done. I still need to do science and social studies. And that also helped direct them where they needed to go if they weren't working fully online. I love that you said that. And it just, before I get to the schedule part, I'm going to reiterate here for Faith and all of the listeners. Uh, When Susan and I were teachers, she was my go-to teacher. Like, hey, Susan, what are you doing with so-and-so? What are you doing about? When I became a principal and Susan was placed on my team, I thought, oh my gosh, how am I going to lead Susan Anderson? Because she's just so smart. Um, and here we are again. She's always just giving me a little bit more than I had asked for. Um, but you said schedules and that reminded me that usually at about ninth grade, I started setting kids up on an AV schedule or like a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then Tuesday, Thursday schedule that they would see if they were going college bound. Now, if they weren't college bound, I wouldn't even, you know, try, um, unless they were undecided, then I'd put them on that schedule too. Um, but getting them used to what a school will look like, uh, at OSU, OU, TCC, whatever. I mean, you don't go to class every single day. And so learning how to manage their time, um, that way was something that, uh, as they got older in high school, um, sometimes the, the middle school grades, we would switch to a schedule that they were going to follow for four more years after high school. So that they could uh, start getting familiar that way too. Um, okay, so there is a uh, an outline on here, and I wanted to kind of address some of the things. Is this faith? Is this your outline? This is just my framework that I'm working from this year. I like. Why don't you speak to it just a little bit? Uh, and so I'm going to share really- this outline with everybody in the show notes, just so you know. So anybody who's listening, if you're listening on. Uh, Podbean or Apple uh, Podcasts, you'll be able to click into the show notes and see all of this content. But go for it, Faith. I don't know that I have the quote on here, but really most of this is is generated, and I'm, I'm going to date myself here, from a quote by Peter Drucker that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yep. And, you know, I realized this myself when I was speaking to a student. She had three classes, three. She was taking college classes for dual credit and she was overwhelmed. And I think I said to her, you have three classes (laughs) very uh, unempathetically. Why are you overwhelmed? Oh my gosh. Yes. That same week, one of my kids said to me, mom, when you talk now, you look at our forehead, we can tell you're not even listening to us. So I realized myself that, you know, my student was letting the culture take over her life and overwhelm her. I was doing the same thing. So that's my reason this year for operating within this framework, just addressing the culture that we live in so that we can maximize student learning. And part of that is just figuring out how they learn, like you said, so that we can, let me back up. First, we want to address the culture of the family. What are the family dynamics? And that, a lot of that's done in the ILP. Is it a large family? Is it a small family? Only child? Multiple kids? Do they travel a lot? Um, what's their belief system? Et cetera. 
And then the culture at large, I feel like we're easily distracted, myself included, and we're easily discouraged. And some of that has to do with social media and just the pressures that we have today. So I'm trying to operate this year in a way that will help educate students. And again, I'm learning this myself, ways to better manage our time, to block out distractions, et cetera. I really love it. And for anybody that uh, clicks into the show notes, you're going to see what she's just put together here. Um, I, I don't know how you could fail with it, honestly. Uh, I mean, this is this is an amazing... Um, an amazing resource. And you, you've got a link here to Lisa Johnson note previous podcast. Yes. (laughs) Okay. She's awesome. And just so you know, I keep both of her books super handy and they're both like filled with all the things that I'll use regularly or want to introduce to either students or families or teachers regularly. Cause she's so good. Are do you follow her on Instagram? Yes, and she has great resources, yes, yes, and I go along really well with um, the book that I'm using with my students, Getting Things Done for Teens by David Allen. Her resources just mesh with that beautifully. That is awesome. Um, Susan, uh, you were a parent teaching, and Faith, you too. Uh, then you became a teacher, and now, Susan, you're leading teachers how do you help them realize that they need to be outsourcing some of their content and curating content for their students? And how do you have that conversation with a family who is kind of just like done doing all the different things? We want to look at student success. Is a student succeeding? Is a student mastering the standards? Is a student getting their work done? And if they're not, At Epic, we have the freedom and the ability to pivot and to switch and let's try something else. Let's try something that will draw that kid in, that will spark their interest, that will uh, make them want to learn, make them enjoy the learning process. And so it, it becomes a necessity. There's no reason for a kid to be failing when we can pivot and try and come up with a better plan for that kid. And then it's brainstorming. Well, we could we could try using IXL. Now this next year, we're going to have Alex Math mm. available to our students, another great resource uh, for our families. And we're going to have a curriculum called No Red Ink that we can use for writing along with many other great writing resources that are available out there like IEW or, or teacher plan lessons as well. Um, how, so it's a, how soon is too soon to pivot? How long do you give a program or uh, a setup before you decide that it's time to pivot? How, how many times do they need to fail? How many uh, formatives do they need to not understand before you're taking uh, and making a new plan for them? I like to tell the kids six weeks. Let's give this six weeks. Let's look at the next month and a half. Give this a try. Let's see if it works. If it's not working, let's try something else. But let's give it our all for six weeks and go from there. I really like that. Faith, what, how, long, how long do you give a kiddo before you change and, and pivot? You know, I don't know that I really have a time limit on it. 
I feel like sometimes it can take a while to see if they have growth. It may not happen the first year. So I try, I really try to emphasize their effort. If they're giving me good effort and they absolutely hate it, then I think it's time to pivot. But the effort part of it, I feel like is key. If they're not giving good effort, then it's really hard to tell. I, I don't like to pivot. I like to <laughs> come up with a plan and, you know, stick with it if we can, because I feel like the more you pivot, the more ground you lose. So I do try to really come up with a good plan from the beginning. But of course, like I had one student, we had to pivot twice in her math curriculum this year, and we finally found a good fit. So we can move forward and stick it out now. Um, So I would say really, I don't like to put a time limit on it, but what Susan said is is great. I'll, I'll probably keep that in mind this year. Six weeks is a good amount of time to know if they've given it a good shot and if it's working or not. You know, the effort part is huge. Um, I had kids who were saying, no, I'm giving it my all. I really am. And I just kept thinking, you know, I do see your notes. I do see, let me see, where are you doing your schoolwork? And they would say, you know, in my bedroom or at the kitchen table. And then we'd go and we'd see that setup. And oh my gosh, the, the, the noise that was on the walls or the, I mean, not even audible noise all the time. Like just this one kid in particular, and and I overhauled her room. Like we took everything out. We painted, we, we ripped the carpet out. We did not replace the carpet. I'm not, I'm not that I did pay for the paint, but, um, (laughs) we cleaned her room and painted her walls because she had, I mean, every friend that came over was able to write on her walls. And so her walls were just so busy and, and clothes were everywhere and things were everywhere. And, and it totally changed her world, having a calm, quiet place to study. And so, and this is where I'm, I'm going to say parents, teachers, please have a dedicated space that's not got a lot of noise. And I'm not talking about, I am talking about audible noise also. I mean, if if siblings are running around and, and, um, you know, a a student is having to look after siblings while also doing schoolwork, that's hard. I mean, imagine uh, yourself trying to learn something while also managing chaos. Um, That's, it's a lot to ask of a kid, but look at the, the surroundings that, that they're sitting in and, if it's just busy, find a way to simplify it. I mean, I've, I've been in classrooms, brick and mortar classrooms that every inch of the wall is covered. And I just thought I would never be able to learn here. I mean, they've obviously created a flow, but um, I, I need thematic projects and, and let's decorate for, for the season or for the theme, not for the year. Uh, I don't know that it would, it would make me crazy. Um, have you guys ever had the conversation with families where you've had to talk about, uh, the, the environment that that the kiddos are learning in? I call it eliminating the squirrel from from the dog who every time he saw a squirrel would get distracted by that. So yes, I think that's really important to have a dedicated space. Yeah, I mean, so this last two years ago, and Susan knows, uh, I I bought a shed, one of those she shed things, and it was big enough and it's nice enough. I really love the she shed, but it was 
cold in the wintertime and I couldn't stay warm enough and it was hot in the summertime and my AC unit worked fine, but it was just loud and I couldn't focus because of this AC unit going off. And so I moved inside last year into the living room. Well, the living room is incredibly busy in my house and I was having to get up and move to take meetings and get up and move to have a phone call and or else I was distracting my own kiddos, right? I was their problem. Um, and so we've created an, a, another space for me and, and Susan, I'll have you over sometime. You can kind of see it here in my background, but, um, <laughs> we've got a new space and it's changed my world. Like I am so productive in this space because it's dedicated to me and quiet and my workflow. Uh, it makes a difference. The squirrels make a difference. <laughs> All right. Well, any last words to add to this conversation uh, for for families and um, words of wisdom you can give them or or verbiage you can give them to uh, help help them plan their year with their teacher? I would say to really take time during the ILP and come up with a good plan. And at the end of that ILP if you don't know exactly which curriculum you're going to use, spend some time looking at it and get back with your teacher the next week. Look at the resources that are available. Ask for samples. Uh, look at uh, samples online. There are samples of all kinds of workbooks online as well. And just try to make a really solid plan for the school year so that you're starting off on a good foot. Yeah. Well, it's hard to add anything more to what Susan says. (laughs) Why do I even try? But you go for it, Miss Faith. Each year, I try to have a quote that involves some type of controllable factor. So my first year was small disciplines repeated with consistency every day lead to great achievements, great gains slowly over time. It's John Maxwell. Last year, it was continuous effort, not strength or intelligence is the key to unlocking our potential. That was Winston Churchill. And so I'll just end with my quote for this year and our theme, wherever you are, be all there. I don't know how we could add or subtract from that. So until next week, uh, tune in when we are rethinking how leadership and education can better prepare the next generation for a rapidly evolving world.